Welcome to Legal Aid New South Wales Early Appropriate Guilty Plea Podcast. This is the first podcast in our series of five, during which we'll be talking about the Early Appropriate Guilty Plea Reform, also known as the EAGP Reform. My name is Kepi Waters, and joining me today are Rob Hoyles and Nick Ashby. We're from the Early Appropriate Guilty Plea Implementation Team at Legal Aid, and we're all practising solicitors in the Criminal Law Division at Legal Aid. You might have seen us around if you attended one of our 30 or so training sessions that were delivered around the state. So why are we here? Well, in this series, we hope to give you an explanation of the EAGP reforms. We'll refer you to the relevant legislation. We'll also talk about some of the operational aspects of the reform. So we'll also give the lawyers tuning in suggestions and tips for how to deal with EAGP matters. We hope that this will add to your reading and understanding of the legislation. So what will we be covering in our series? Well, in the next 15 minutes or so, we will talk about what led to the EAGP reforms. We will give you an outline of the EAGP committal process and look at how the reforms apply to criminal matters. We'll also tell you about anticipated court timeframes for new committal matters. During our second podcast, we will cover steps one and two in the new EAGP committal process. These are early disclosure and charge certification. For podcast number three, we will be taking you through case conferencing and the case conferencing certificate. These are steps three and four of the process. In podcast number four, we will be talking about committal procedures. This includes witness hearings, fitness issues, and the actual process of committal for trial and sentence. And in our last podcast, number five, we will be discussing the new statutory sentencing discount scheme. So in this podcast, we'll cover four topics, the first of which is the case for change which led to these reforms. Uh, Rob, can you tell us what was the background behind these reforms? Well, in 2013, the New South Wales Law Reform Commission looked at all of the criminal matters dealt with in the justice system in New South Wales um, on indictment, and the Law Reform Commission were asked to identify changes which could be made to reduce the system's inefficiencies. The Commission's findings are set out in a report they released, Report Number 141, which is entitled Encouraging Appropriate Early Guilty Pleas. If you're interested in reading the report, you can find it on the New South Wales Law Reform Commission's website. And Nick, what were the Law Reform Commission's findings? Well, the uh, Law Reform Commission found that the criminal justice process in New South Wales is inefficient and ultimately recommended the most appropriate avenue for reform would be in the committal process for indictable matters. And how did the Commission reach this conclusion? Well, the Commission looked at data from a number of sources, being BOXAR, New South Wales DPP, the New South Wales District Court, and this data revealed, perhaps unsurprisingly, that 83% of all committal matters end in a guilty plea, 35% of pleas of guilty are entered after a matter is committed for trial, which is considered to be late in the proceedings, Uh, and about two-thirds, between 62 and 66% of late guilty pleas are entered on the first day of trial, or even later, and 63% of the guilty pleas entered on the first day of trial in the District Court in 2012 were not to the original charge. Did the Commission look at what actually contributed to these statistics? Yes, the Commission identified 10 obstacles which lead to the delays and backlog that we are all used to as practitioners, and those obstacles, just to run through them, are firstly that the prosecution serves part of the brief of evidence late in the piece, Uh, Secondly, that the defence expects further evidence to be served later in the case. Uh, Thirdly, the defence believes it is common practice for the prosecution to overcharge early and reduce those charges uh, as the proceedings go ahead. 
Number four, prosecution accepts a plea to a lesser charge late in the matters, and you'll see there's some duplication in these, um, in these factors identified by the Commission. Number five, Crown prosecutors with the authority to negotiate are not briefed until late in the piece. Uh, number six, the defence book perceives that a sentence discount for the utilitarian benefit of a guilty plea will be applied even if the plea was entered later. Uh, number seven, there is scepticism from the defence that any sentencing discounts will be given to clients. Number eight, the defence believes that they will get better results in negotiations that happen just before trial. Number nine, changes and inconsistency in representation, legal representation, meaning that advice and negotiations can then be inconsistent. And finally, number ten, the defence uh, or the defendant holds back a plea because they want to postpone the inevitable penalty. They're in a sense of denial about how serious their predicament is until the first day of their trial and hopeful that the case will fall over because of a lack of witnesses or lack of evidence. So essentially the EAGP reforms are designed to address these concerns and as a result they represent significant changes to the New South Wales criminal justice system. So talking about those changes, we'll move on to what exactly those EAGP reforms are. Perhaps, Robbie, you can tell us what those EAGP reforms look like. Well, the Justice Legislation Amendment Committals and Guilty Pleas Act was introduced, um, introduced the EAGP reforms, and it introduced major changes to the Criminal Procedure Act, the Children's Criminal Proceedings Act, and the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act. It also made changes to other pieces of legislation, for example, the Mental Health Forensic Provisions Act. And when did these reforms commence? The amendments commenced on 30 April 2018. And aside from those changes that you've just mentioned, what other changes should lawyers know about? There are two new practice notes for EAJP matters from the local court and the children's court. The New South Wales Police and the DPP reached an agreement about how EAJP matters will be dealt with. Um, We call this the New South Wales Brief Protocol, and the agencies refer to it as their MOU. And the Commonwealth DPP also introduced its own EAGP guidelines. Okay, so let's let's move on to the process. What are the stages in the new committal process? Well, there are essentially six steps um, or stages in the new committal process. Just to take you through those, they are step one, the early disclosure of prosecution evidence, including the service of some evidence in non-admissible form. Step two, charge certification by prosecutors with delegation who are expected to stay in a matter until it ends. Step three, case conferencing, which is a structured mandatory negotiation process between defence legal representatives and prosecutors. Step four, the case conference certificate, which is a formal record of the negotiations. Step five, committal for trial or sentence with a magistrate power to discharge the accused abolished. And step six, sentencing discounts, which are fixed, mandatory, and given for the utilitarian value of a guilty plea, or in some cases for an offer to plead guilty. But we'll get to that later. So aside from knowing how the EAGP process works, the number one question many lawyers will be asking is, does the EAGP scheme actually apply to my client? Perhaps, Nick, you can tell us um, how um, the EAGP system would apply. Yes, well, the answer to this can be found in the regulations and by looking at the court attendance notice for each matter. In simple terms, EAGP matters are new, strictly indictable offences and elected table matters which are laid from the 30th of April 2018. So does each of the six steps that uh, Rob referred to, do they each of them apply to these matters? Yes, but in, save in this respect, the statutory sentence discounts don't apply to Commonwealth committal offences and also they don't apply to an offence um, if it was committed when the accused was under 18 
and if they were charged before they turned 21. All other steps in the process do apply to these Commonwealth and Children's Court matters. So what happens if you have a client who already has a committal matter on foot and they have new charges laid against them after 30 April? Good question. Well, Clause 119A of the Criminal Procedure Regulation is relevant here. Basically, it says that the old committal process applies to offences if proceedings for any of those offences commenced before the 30th of April 2018. Do those new charges have to be related in some way to the, the existing ones or the old ones? Yeah, the short answer is yes. Any new sequences which are added after the 30th of April 2018 have to be laid under the same H number. These new matters are not EAGP matters. We're calling these matters legacy uh, cases. And since 30th of April, is this what has actually been happening in practice? Yes, we've heard that new charges added to an existing H number are being dealt with under the old committal process, so in other words, as legacy matters. But we've also heard of police laying new charges under new H numbers, even when they relate to an existing set of proceedings. This has meant that those matters are being dealt with as EAGP matters. So to be clear, what are EAGP matters? So when we talk about EAGP matters, we are talking about strictly indictable offences, laid after 30 April 2018 and elected table offences laid after 30 April 2018 unless they are under an old age number. So we all know that the whole purpose of the EAGP reform is essentially to speed up the committal process. So our final topic for today will be to talk about how long this new process will actually take. Um, Rob, perhaps you could tell us about that. Well, both the Criminal Procedure Act and the EAGP practice notes are relevant here. We suggest looking at attachment A of the local court practice note. I think it gives a really good guide as to how EAGP matters will go through the local court. So the first step is police serving the brief of evidence. How long do they have to do that? Uh, we expect the court to order that police have eight weeks to serve the brief of evidence. And how long does the defence get to reply to the brief of evidence? Under this new scheme, there is no order for reply to the brief, so this is a big change. So what happens if the brief isn't served by that eight-week mark? Um, we anticipate a police prosecutor will ask for more time for the brief to be served. You just mentioned a police prosecutor. Where are the DPP in all this? Well, one of the biggest changes in the process is that the DPP won't be appearing at this point. Police prosecutors will stay in the matter until they tell the court the brief has been served and ask the court for orders that a charge certificate be filed. That's when the DPP will come into the matter. They will certify the charge. And how long do the DPP have to certify a charge? The practice note says six weeks. So what happens if they haven't certified a charge by then? Section 67 of the Criminal Procedure Act actually gives the prosecution six months to certify a charge. So if the DPP don't have enough evidence to certify a charge at the six-week mark, um, we anticipate they will ask the court for an adjournment um, to requisition the police to provide the material that they do need. And how is a charge actually certified? A charge certificate is drafted by the prosecutor and filed with the local court, and a copy of that must be served on the accused. And so what would happen after charge certification? A case conference is the next step, um, but if our client is willing to plead guilty to the certified charge, then a case conference doesn't need to happen. Well, if we do need a case conference, what happens then? Now, this is where things get tight for the defence in terms of time frames. We are expected to tell the court immediately the date of the case conference, this could be difficult if you are served with the charge certificate at the bar table on the day the matter is listed, for example, especially when we would want to get our client's instructions about the certified charge. 
If we do need a case conference, then we might need time to brief counsel in the matter as well. Can we ask the court to give us time to do all of those things? Absolutely. The practice note says a matter can be adjourned for up to seven days for all of this to occur, but keep in mind clause 5.1 in the practice note, which is really the clause that says that whilst the usual timetable can, is, is a great idea, it can be departed upon um, in the interest of justice. So maybe a little more time now and then might save time later on. Okay. So if we look at attachment A in the practice note, like you suggested, it mentions that a witness hearing might be a next step. Yes, that is even before you have a case conference. Well, what is a witness hearing? A witness hearing is what we knew to be a contested committal hearing under the old system in which you call witnesses to be able to give evidence. And how long does the process of applying for a witness hearing take? If you apply for a witness hearing, the matter is expected to be adjourned for four weeks. You will have to file submissions under Section 82 or Section 84 in the first two weeks. Now, just to clarify, Section 82 is the new Section 91 in the old Act, and Section 84 is the new Section 93. The ODPP will then have two weeks to consider your submissions, and if they agree with your application under Section 82, then the matter is adjourned for a witness hearing. If they don't agree, or if it's a Section 84 application, the matter is adjourned for the magistrate to hear and determine your application to call a witness. So if you don't apply for a witness hearing, what happens next? Well, the next step is the case conference. The parties are given eight weeks for a case conference and for a case conference certificate to be filed. Um, it's expected that the case conference will happen in the first six weeks of that eight-week adjournment and the case conference certificate will be completed uh, in the last two weeks. And after the case conference, a case conference certificate is completed, who is responsible for completing the certificate? Well, we have responsibility for organising the case conference as the defence, but the case conference certificate itself will be prepared by the prosecution and signed off by both parties. It will then be filed in the local court. And if the matter is, has been resolved, what happens then? Well, if the client's pleading guilty, then there'll be, the guilty pleas will be entered on the next court date and the accused will be committed for sentence to the district or the Supreme Court. And if there's no resolution? If no resolution, the matter's proceeding to trial, then the accused will be committed for trial to the higher court. Okay. Well, that's given us a bit of a crash course in terms of the stages, timeframes and application of the EAGP process. If our listeners are looking for more information about the EAGP reform, Rob, can you tell us where they might find that? Well, they can head to the Legal Aid New South Wales website. There's a tab under the Four Lawyers button, um, and it says Resources and Tools, and you can look for EAGP, which will take you to our website with the links to all the legislation, copies of the practice notes, the brief protocol or MOU between the police and the DPP, and the Commonwealth DPP guidelines. You'll also find our EAGP Guide for Practitioners, which is a wonderful 54-page um, or more guide that takes you through the process step-by-step. Step. Okay, great. Um, thank you for listening to the first of our EAGP podcasts. Tune in to our next podcast in the series, during which we will talk about the first two stages of the new EAGP committal process, and they are early disclosure and charge certification. Till next time.